hey guys, welcome back to the So Kraj, what are you doing? That was only for one episode. You're just jealous I'm better than you. Get out of my room. Fine, Oliver. Don't you Arnold Schwarzenegger me. Come on. Thank you. Okay, welcome back to GCSE Revision with Jazz. Don't stare at me now, please. Okay, welcome back to GCSE Revision with Jazz, and this is me, Jazz, this time, not my brother. Um, so today we're going to be looking at Act 4, Scene 3. This can easily be an hour episode because Act 4, Scene 3 is really, 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 really long. So like I said last time, get in a comfy spot on your desk, wherever you are, in the garden, I don't care. Um, get some highlighters, three different highlighters would be good enough. And get your script out and we're going to be annotating together. Okay, so Act 4, Scene 3 is a really long scene, so I'm going to split it into sections, and I've already said this, make sure you grab three highlighters, have a copy of the modern text alongside your original text because it'll be easier. If you don't have the modern text, just look up sparknotes.com and there should be a modern text version there. And even if you can't do any of these things, don't worry because when I go through the annotations, I will translate it into modern text. So... Normally, I split um, these scenes into sections, and I'm definitely going to split this scene into sections because Act 4, Scene 3 is around 8 pages long, which is a really long scene. So we're going to split it up. Imagine if I had to read all of it out, all 8 pages, and then went to the beginning and annotated it. It would just be really hard for me and you, so it would just help us both. And we're going to get straight into it. Let's talk about Act 4, Scene 2 first, because I believe that if I give you a little recap, it will just you know wake up your brain a bit also i do have episodes from Macbeth all the way from act one scene one to act four scene three act four scene three like we're doing now so make sure you've watched those as well so make sure to check those out as well like i've said and let's get into it so act four scene two is basically a conversation between lady Macduff and her son and it shows their killing and how Macbeth has sent murderers to kill Macduff's family for no reason, just out of spite. And last episode we talked about the role of children in Macbeth. So make sure if you haven't watched it, watch it, not watch it, um, listen to it because it goes through some higher level structures and themes which will really help you into developing your annotations and your responses. And we just see this playful, witty, honest... Um, conversation it's a quite tender moment between lady macduff and her son and you can really compare this to lady macbeth and lady macduff's view on life as for example lady macduff thinks masculinity is linked to being a role of a husband you know not neglecting your paternal duties and protecting your children and your family whereas macbeth lady macbeth thinks that masculinity is the idea of being brutal and violent and dishonest so you can compare that as well as their um, kind of relationships with their children. Obviously, Lady Macbeth does not have children, but she did said she will um, basically kill a child if she'd sworn to do so. Dash the brains out if she swore to do so. That's the real word. Okay, so let's go straight into Act 4, Scene 3. I'm going to read it out, the first section, and then I'm going to annotate it with you. So, Act 4, Scene 3. Enter Malcolm and Macduff. Before I do that, I'm sorry, I'm going to give you a recap of Act 4, Scene 3. It'll just make this so much easier. So, 
Macduff travels to England or Ireland, I forgot which one, I'll probably clear it up later on in this episode, and he goes to Ireland or England to convince Malcolm to come to Scotland with him and take his place as the rightful King of Scotland because he is still Prince of Cumberland. Well, he isn't still Prince of Cumberland, but he was named Prince of Cumberland. So by Duncan, uh, Duncan said that his son will be king after him. So um, he technically is the rightful heir and Macbeth is not. So he's gone to convince Malcolm Malcolm to come back and get his throne back because Macduff um, believes that Macbeth and pretty much everyone thinks that Macbeth is a tyrant now and he is um, a really bad king and he just made everyone miserable so he has come here to convince Malcolm basically. Now Malcolm in this scene in this scene he's really suspicious of Macduff because in his eyes he thinks that Macduff is basically um, betraying him and is going to bring him to Macbeth so that Macbeth can kill him um, and is telling him oh yeah you can be king um, I'm actually your friend and brings him to Scotland and then Macbeth kills him so basically he's testing Macduff to see if he is just like Macduff, Macbeth or is he um, actually trying to help Scotland by making him king so he starts describing himself worse than Macbeth he starts talking about lust starts talking about greed um, which are basically him trying to make him sound really really bad and what he's thinking is if Macduff says okay no 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 it doesn't matter even if you have all these terrible qualities and even though you're even worse than Macbeth I'm still willing to bring you to Macbeth and make you king again then he knows that Macduff is a traitor because if he was really thinking um, of helping Scotland and getting this awful tyrant Macbeth off the throne he wouldn't replace with somebody worse he would go and find someone else but if Macduff says oh no never mind because you're even worse why would I do that um, I, you, I thought you would help me but you, you have like no purpose you're even worse then that means that Macduff is truly concerned about the state of the nation and he's committed to um helping um and that shows that he is not trying to bait malcolm into being killed so that's basically his plan lots of students get confused because like why are they saying why is he saying that he's terrible like, when he's not um so basically that is why so i just thought it'd be good to give you a recap of what this scene is actually about so you don't get confused later on so i'm gonna read the first section out now enter malcolm and macduff malcolm let us seek out some desolate shade and there weep our sad bosoms empty macduff let us rather hold fast a mortal sword and like good men bestride our downfall and birth them each new morn new windows i keep saying new windows howl but it's meant to be new widows new widows howl New orphans cry, new sorrows strike heaven on the face, and that it resounds as it, it fell with Scotland and yelled out like syllable of dollar. Malcolm, what I believe I will wail, what no believe and what I can redress, as I shall find the time to friend I will. What you have spoke, it may be so perchance, this tyrant whose sole name blisters our tongues was, not one, was once thought honest. You have loved him well. 
he hath not touched you yet. I am young, but something you may deserve of him through me and wisdom to offer up a weak, poor, innocent lamb to appease an angry god. Macduff, I am not treacherous. Malcolm, but Macbeth is. A good and virtuous nature may recoil in an imperial charge. But I shall crave your pardon, that which you are my thoughts cannot transpose. Angels are bright still, though the brightest fell. Though all things foul would wear the brows of grace, yet grace must still look so. Macduff, I have lost my hopes. So, Malcolm says, let us seek out some desolate shade. Um, and that just means let's seek out some shady place. And basically he's referring to mourning. And it sets a sad and melancholic tone for the rest of the scene. It's ironic as they're mourning and... Um, Macduff's family is dead, but they don't know yet, so it's kind of like hinting to the fact that they're going to find out that his family has died. And they are seeking darkness like Macbeth, but Macbeth uses it to commit evil acts and they're using it to mourn. Then Macduff says in response, let us rather hold fast the mortal sword, which means instead of crying, let's keep hold of our swords and defend our fallen homeland so he's ready to act like a warrior and his duty is solely to defend his homeland he's very focused on his um duty then he describes the situation in scotland he says each new morn new widows howl new orphans cry new sorrows strike heaven on the face that's pretty self-explanatory he is it's ironic as he is a widow now and it emphasizes the brutality of macbeth's reign then they say that even to say Macbeth's name it blisters our tongues which um alludes to a biblical story that if you say a sinner's name then the devil will put blisters on your tongue so it paints Macbeth as a sinful person and that he is a sinner again emphasizing that he's not a good person anymore so I don't know where I left off but, but I'm just going to move on to the next I think I left on blisters our tongue. So the next quote is, he hath not touched you yet, which means he hasn't harmed you yet. Now this is ironic because we know that he has been harmed by them, not physically, but emotionally because he has killed Macduff's entire family. Um, and it shows that, well, in Malcolm's eyes, because they don't know this information yet, he has yet to experience the true extent of Macbeth's power. And Malcolm acknowledges that this is not a question of if he's going to harm Macduff, it's a question of when he's going to harm Macduff. So it's kind of an inevitable thing that's going to happen at this point. Then Malcolm kind of tells us what he sees himself as, and he sees himself as a poor innocent lamb to appease an angry god. So again, this is what is the evidence to tell us that Malcolm does not trust Macduff, and this is um, evidence that shows us that he thinks that Macduff is going to basically sacrifice him to Macbeth so that Macbeth can kill him and he will be on the good side of Macbeth. So, and then Macduff says, I'm not treacherous, is a quick response. He's honest and he's insisting on his innocence to convince Malcolm. Then, with a really quick reply, Malcolm says, but Macbeth is. He's cautious and he's not willing to take any chances. I also just want to touch on the fact that Act 4, Scene 3 has no interruptions, no rhyme schemes, there's very few stage directions. It's pretty much just a serious conversation and this is, the reason there's no interruptions or anything is because this is meant to be a serious conversation about the nature of a good king. 
Shakespeare here is trying to emphasise that he recognises the values of a good king and he recognises what makes a good king to his audience. Then Malcolm says, a good and virtuous nature may recoil in an imperial charge, which means even someone with a good virtuous nature might give way to royal command. This tells us how power can corrode one's senses of morality and virtue, just like Macbeth, and you can't be guarded against it. Then Malcolm says, angels are bright still, though the brightest fell. Now this is a reference to Lucifer, as in the modern text translation, it means angels are still bright, even though Lucifer, the brightest angel, fell from heaven. So they're likening Lucifer to Macbeth, and they are both linked because Lucifer fell from heaven because he was getting hungry for power. Same thing with Macbeth. He used to be one of the best warriors. He was always called noble or brave. He was rewarded for his actions, but he he let greed get in the way, and he found it hard to differentiate from good and evil, and now, at this point, he's just a tyrant at this point in the play. Then Malcolm says, Though all things foul would wear the brows of grace, yet grace must still look so, which means even though everything evil wants to look good, good still has to look good too. So again, it's the theme of appearance versus reality, and it shows that Malcolm is smarter than he seems. And then Macduff says, I've lost my hopes. Um, So again, Macduff is genuinely concerned about the state of the country. He is committed um, committed to doing things the soldierly way. Now let's read the next section. Malcolm. Perchance even there where I did found my doubts, why in that rawness left you wife and child, those precious motives, those strong knots of love, without leave-taking? I pray you, let not my jealousies be your dishonours, but mine own safeties. You may be rightly just, whatever I shall think. Macduff. Bleed, bleed, poor country, great tyranny, lay thou thy basis sure, for goodness dare not check thee, where thou thy wrongs. The title is a feared, fare thee well, Lord. I would not be the villain that thou, thou thinkst. For the whole space that's in the tyrant's grasp and the rich east to boot. Malcolm. Be not offended. I speak not as an absolute fear of you. I think our country sinks beneath the yoke. It weeps, it bleeds, and each new day a gash is added to her wounds. I think withal there would be hands uplifted in my right. And here from gracious and here from gracious England, so it is England where he is, have I offer of goodly thousands. But for all this, when I shall tread upon the tyrant's head, or wear it on my sword, yet my poor country shall have more vices than it had before, more suffer, and more sundry ways than ever, for him that shall succeed. Macduff, what should he be? Malcolm, it is I, it is myself, I mean, in whom I know. Okay, so... After Macduff says, I've lost my hopes, Malcolm says, perchance even there where I did find my doubts, which means maybe you lost your hopes about me when where I found my doubts about you. Malcolm is acting as a king. He, he would be expected to scrutinise and to question and not to just assume things and respond in a way um, that questions people and just not, he's not like his father. His father was very trusting. He is acting, learning from his father's mistakes and actually not trusting people as quick as his dad did. Uh, He also says, why in that rawness left you wife and child those precious motives? Again, it's highlighting 
Muktas Hamasha, which is his chauvinistic nature, which means he's excessively patriotic, which led him to abandon his family for, um, uh, led him to abandon his family. Um, and this is unnatural behaviour from Macduff. Then Malcolm calls his family strong knots of love. And this basically is a metaphor to emphasise his mistake of leaving his child, children and wife all by themselves when he knows that a tyrant like Macbeth is um, out there. Uh, again, it highlights his unusual behaviour and sh this is probably why he's so suspicious and he doesn't trust anyone. Then Macduff says, bleed, bleed, poor country. Um, the personification of Scotland shows it's wounded and attacked, possibly and most likely from Macbeth's rule. Um, there's nothing left for Scotland to do but die and Scotland is doomed in his opinion now. And then Macduff says, I will not be the villain that thou thinkst, which means I wouldn't be the villain you think I am. Even if I was offered all of Macbeth's kingdoms, he will not give in to the temptation and become the villain that Malcolm believes he is, shows his determined nature and his patriotism and his loyalty. Malcolm then describes Scotland and says, it weeps, it weeps, and each new day a gash is added to her wounds. Again, this emphasises the new pain that is brought to Scotland by Macbeth being in rule. And also it um, shows that Scotland is now vulnerable and fragile and by personifying Scotland as a woman um, it kind of shows that they have to defend her even though that's really sexist but 1600s for you and then Malcolm says yet my poor country shall have more vices than it had before more suffer more sundry ways than ever so here he's basically alluding to the fact that if he was ruling he would be worse than Macbeth he would be worse than Macbeth and it shows this response is not what the audience would have expected. So the audiences are faced with the prospect of a worse successor than Macbeth. And I'll keep in mind, like, I told you what this scene is about from the beginning. But if you were an audience in the 1600s, you would think, wait, wait a second, why would he be worse? I thought he was the answer to all this. So you would believe Malcolm, even though we're reading it now, we know he's lying. But the audience would have believed what he's saying. Um, then Malcolm and then Macduff is like what are you talking about and Malcolm says it is myself I mean in whom I know so he's self-reflective he's trying to put um, kind of explain why he wouldn't be a good king because again he's just trying to see if Macduff is actually loyal Ma so now ne oh I can't speak next to the next sec um so to the next section. Malcolm, it is myself I mean in whom I know all the particulars of vice so grafted that when they shall be opened black Macbeth will seem as pure as snow and the poor state esteem him as a lamb being compared with my confinous harms. Macduff, not in the legions of horrid hell can come a devil more damned in evils to top Macbeth. Malcolm, I grant him bloody, luxurious, avaricious, false, deceitful, sudden, malicious, smacking of every sin that had a name. But there's no bottom, none, in my voluptuousness. Your wives, your daughters, your matrons and your maids could not fill up the cistern of my lust. And my desire or continent impediments would overbear that did oppose my will. Better Macbeth than such an one to reign. Macduff. Boundless in temper 
intemperance in nature is a tyranny. It hath been the untimely emptying of the happy throne and fall of many kings. But fear not yet to take upon you what is yours. You may convey your pleasures in a spacious plenty and yet some cold. The time you may so hoodwink. We are willing dames enough. There cannot be that vulture in use to devour so many as will to greatness dedicate themselves finding it so inclined. So, um... Malcolm refers to Macbeth as Black Macbeth. He's using black and darkness to describe Macbeth. And it shows Malcolm aligning Macbeth with the supernatural and still maintaining the views he would be a worse king. Then he says, esteem him as a lamb. When he's trying to say that compared to me, Macbeth would look like a lamb. Again, he emphasises his point and Macduff remains confused as Malcolm persists with his trickery. Now, this whole conversation, like this whole two-page conversation is a lie and he is being strategic. Then Macduff says, not in the legions. So basically, even in hell, you couldn't find a devil worse than Macbeth. So he's refusing these claims. Uh, Malcolm then talks about his first sin, kind of his first... Um, reason why he should not be king. King, just keep in your mind that this whole conversation is a lie. He is not, uh, he doesn't commit any of these sins. So he says, I grant him bloody, luxurious, avaricious, false, deceitful, sudden, malicious, smacking of every sin that has a name. So he's listing Macbeth's bad qualities, um, not his, but he is over-exaggerating to test Macduff. His first sin is lust. So Malcolm says he's very lustful. And you can see this when he says, in my voluptuousness, your wives, your daughters, your matrons and your maids could not fill up the cistern of my lust. He's exaggerating the extent of the lust and lust is one of the seven deadly sins. And if you commit them, you will go straight to hell. Then Macduff says in response, we have winning games enough. So he is trying to rationalise with this flaw and he thinks that you possibly couldn't be that lustful. Then once Malcolm sees that he's still willing to um, show him to Macbeth and like put him on the throne, Malcolm tells him another sin. He said, the next sin is this. So this is the next section. Malcolm, with this there grows in my most ill-composed affection such a stanchless avarice that were I king, I should cut off the nobles for their lands, desire his jewels and this other house, and my more having would be as a source to make me hunger more, that I shall forge quarrels unjust against the good and loyal, destroying them for wealth. Macduff, this avarice sticks deeper, grows with more pernicious root than summer seeming lust, and it hath been the sword of our slain kings. Yet do not fear, Scotland hath foisions to fill up your will of your mere own, all these are portable, will with other grace weighed. Malcolm. But I have none. The king becoming graces as justice, rarity, temperance, stableness, bounty, perseverance, mercy, lowliness, devotion, patience, courage, fortitude. I have no relish of them, but abound in the division of every several crime, acting in many ways. Nay, had I power, I should pour the sweet milk of concord into hell, uproar the universal peace, confound all unity on earth. Macduff, O Scotland, O Scotland, Malcolm, if such a one be be fit to govern, speak, I am as I have spoken. Okay, so then he talks about his second sin, and that is greed. 
Now this, this sin is the most applicable to Macbeth's situation. He is never content to settle for what he has. We're talking about Macbeth, by the way. And Macbeth's greed is what drives him to kill his friend as he is not content with just having the crown. He needs to, uh, he needs to have a legacy. So uh, we can tell that his sin is greed by, he says, um, a stanchless avarice, which is basically Macbeth. Then Macduff says, well, okay, um, this problem is worse. This problem sticks deeper, but um, you know, we can still move around this. He says, summer seeming lust, which shows that he thinks that lust is something for the young and he'll probably grow out of it. And then he says, it has been the sword of our slain kings and he's referring he says greed has been the downfall of many kings so Gant shows that greed has been the downfall of many kings and it's a fact which is true for Macbeth but also Banquo who will be a father to a line of kings greed causes his downfall not his own but Macbeth's so greed causes his downfall not Banquo's downfall but it causes Macbeth's and then Macduff says, all these are portable with other graces weighed, which means these bad qualities are bearable when we talk about your good kind of um, characteristics as well. So Macduff still thinks he can be good because he is Duncan's son and he's willing to accept Malcolm's vices because ultimately he is a good person. But then Malcolm says, I have none. And then he starts listing all the good um qualities of a king and this is what Shakespeare perceives to be a good king so if Macbeth really is um an example of a pro-royalist propaganda play this would make James the first very happy um and then so after saying I have literally no good qualities he says I will pour the sweet milk of concord into hell which means that I will overflow with every variation of all the different vices no, if I had power, I would take world peace and throw it down to hell. So he wants no peace. He He's going to be just like Macbeth. And Macduff screams, oh, Scotland, oh, Scotland. When you have an O apostrophe in a sentence, it shows an intense emotion of grief or excitement or surprise. So again, it's a straightforward statement. He's being blunt because he wants to be cautious. He's lamenting his failures to find what he hoped to be um, the solution for Scotland's misery and he begins to face the increasingly realistic prospect that Scotland is beyond saving and the audience sense his desperation and understand his willingness to ignore some of Malcolm's supposed vices because of the severity of Macbeth's rule. Okay let's read on to the next section. Malcolm, if such a one be fit to govern, speak, I am as I have spoken. Macduff, Fit to govern? No, not to live. O nation miserable, with an untitled tyrant, bloody sceptred, when shalt thou see thy wholesome days again? Since that the truest issue of thy throne, by his own interdiction stands accursed, and does blaspheme his breed. Thy royal father was a most sainted king, the queen that bore thee, the queen that bore thee often up upon her knees and on her feet died every day she lived fare thee well these evils thou repeatst upon thyself have banished me from scotland oh my breast thy hope ends here okay so this little bit by macduff is basically um malcolm asking okay so someone like me is fit to be king let me know you know i am 
how I am. Tell me if I am fit to be king. And Macduff is like, you fit to be king, you're not even fit to live. And then he says, oh, nation miserable. And then he also says, oh, my breast, which again, intense emotions, he's grieving. He's, he's lost all hope. Then he says, uh, thy royal father was the most sainted queen, the queen that, king, the queen that bore thee oftener upon her knees than on her feet. Um, so again, she, he's talking about uh, Malcolm's parents and how it's against his nature um, to be just worse than Macbeth because his family was so honourable and it's a disgrace to his family. Then Malcolm responds like this. Macduff, this noble passion, child of integrity, hath from my soul wiped the black scruples, reconciled my thoughts to thy good truth and honour. Devilish Macbeth, by many of these trains, hath sought to win me into his power, and modest wisdom plucks me from over-credulous haste. But God above, deal between thee and me, for even now I put myself to thy direction, and unspeak mine own detraction. Here abjure the taints and blames I laid upon myself. For strangers to my nature, I am yet unknown to women, never was forsworn, scarcely have coveted what was mine own, at no time broke my faith, would not betray the devil to his fellow, and delight no less in truth than life. My false speaking was that this upon myself, what I am truly is thine and my poor country's to command. So this little speech here is when Malcolm reveals that he actually that this was all a big lie, um, that he is not actually like this, and he was just trying to see if Macduff is worthy and honest. So, when he says, I am yet unknown to women, never be forsworn, all that kind of stuff. Again, he's listing his qualities, and he also says, my first false speaking was this upon myself, which said, which means the lies I told upon my character are actually the first false words I've ever spoken. So it's his first lie in his life, which I find kind of like, impossible but anyway we're going to brush over that fact it's his first lie and then it kind of makes this whole like justifiable because he was just trying to see if um, Macduff was a true friend and then Macduff says no and then he continues so he says old Seward with 10,000 warlike men already at a point was settling forth now all together and the chance of goodness be like a warranted quarry why are you silent so, old Seward with 10,000 warlike men, he's already preparing, again, he's acting like a king, he is prepared. Okay, let's read the next section now. Uh, so this is Macduff's response to why are you silent? Macduff, such welcome and unwelcome things at once, it is hard to reconcile, enter a doctor. Well, more anon, come the king forth, I pray you. Uh, and he's saying this to the doctor. Doctor. I, sir, there are a crew of wretched souls that stay his cure. Their malady convinces the great essay of art, but at his touch such sanctity hath heaven given his hand, they presently amend. Malcolm, I thank you, doctor. Exit, doctor. Macduff, what's the disease he means? Malcolm, tis called the evil, a most miraculous work in his good king, which often since me here remain in England, I have seen them do. How he solicits heaven, himself best knows, for strangely visited people, all swollen and ulcerous, pitiful to the eye. The mere despair of surgery he cures, having a golden stamp about their necks, 
put on with holy prayers and tis spoken to the succeeding royalty he leaves the healing benediction with this true with this strange virtue he hath a heavenly gift of prophecy and sundry blessings hang about his throne that speak him full of grace macduff oh no and then it's enter ross okay so um the doctor enters and the doctor talks about how um king edward okay i lost my drift there so he and a doctor enters they talk talk this um so malcolm asks about king edward and if he's coming out and the doctor says yes a crowd of sick people are waiting for him um so they can be healed by his hand when he touches them and basically the doctor exits so it shows the differences between Edward and Macbeth. Edward has a gift of prophecy because it says here um, somewhere. Uh, at line 160, I'm not sure if my script is the same as yours, but it says he had the heavenly gift of prophecy, whereas Macbeth is a victim of prophecy. Um, Edward has successful successes and Macbeth doesn't have any successes. Edward has an ideal kingship and Macbeth has a bad kingship. Um, and they also emphasise the fact that he himself best knows. He um, he has sundry blessings hang about his throne. He has he cures. He is um, hanging the golden stamp above their neck. So King Edward has a, the supposed gift of healing. So just shows he is in favour of God. Then Ross enters, and this is the bit where we learn the bad news. Enter Ross, Macduff. See who comes here. Malcolm, my countryman, but yet I know him not. Macduff, my ever gentle cousin, welcome hither. Malcolm, I know him now. Good God, be times remove the means that make us strangers. Ross, sir, amen. Macduff. Stand Scotland where it is, Ross. Alas, poor country, almost afraid to know itself. It cannot be our mother. Um, wait, never mind. Alas, poor country, almost afraid to know itself. It cannot be called our mother, but our grave, where nothing but who knows nothing is once seen to smile. Where sighs and groans and shrieks that rend the air are made not marked. Where violent sorrow seems a modern ecstasy. The dead man's knell is there, scarce asked for who, and good men's lives expire before the flowers in their caps, dying or ere uh, they sicken. Macduff, oh, relation too nice and yet too true. Malcolm, what's the newest grief? Ross, that of an hour's age doth hiss the speaker. Uh, each minute teems a new one. Macduff, how does my wife? Ross, why, well... Macduff, and all my children? Ross, well too. Macduff, the tyrant has not battered at their peace? Ross, no, they were well at peace when I did leave them. Macduff, be not a nigger. Oh, that's that sounds like the n-word, so I'm not going to say it. So, be not a something of your speech. It doesn't mean the n-word, it means stingy, but if I say it, it will sound like the n-word, so I'm not going to say it. Be not something of your speech. How ghost? How goes it? Ross. 
Okay, so we're gonna stop there. Um, I almost said that word. Almost. Okay, anyway, so, um, Ross starts describing the state of Scotland. He says that Scotland is almost afraid to know itself. It's a bleak picture of Scotland and a theme that becomes more prominent towards the end of the play. And Scotland is un so un unrecognisable because it's so steeped in bloodshed and villainy. And then he says, be called our mother by our grave where nothing, but who knows nothing. So it means Scotland is no longer the land where we were born, it's the land where we will die. So it's no longer a nurturing place it was or a place of protection, but a place where death reigns. And he says, where sighs and groans and shrieks are around the air. So we're learning of more suffering. The sounds of pain and death can be heard, but they're not remarked, which demonstrates just how fearful Macbeth has made his people. You have to be silent in order to survive. Then Malcolm has to keep, Malcolm and Macduff have to keep asking questions. There's a lot of question marks here about how Macduff's children and wife are. They have to push Ross to learn the truth. And he, Ross, like, answers with really ambiguous questions, like, answers, like, why, well, no, they were well at peace when I did leave them. He's delaying the news because he is daunted by the sheer enormity of the news he must deliver. And also it could show that they have a close relationship because, um, uh, because he's trying to kind of break it to them slowly and he doesn't want to just tell him. So again, it could show that he does not want to just overwhelm him. And Macduff says the tyrant has not battered at their peace. So Macduff fully, fully, Macduff fully acknowledges any attack, um, an attack taking advantage. What am I saying? M Macduff does acknowledge that attack could have happened because um, Macbeth could have took advantage of his vulnerability and his accent absence, but he never thought of it before when he left um, his wife and children. Okay, let's read the next bit. The next page is, I'm just gonna read it out, but like there's hardly any quotations for this page. Malcolm, be to the comfort, we are come thither, Gracious England hath lent us good steward and ten thousand men, an older and a better soldier than that Christendom gives out. Ross, would I could answer this comfort with the like, but I have words that would be howled out in the desert air, where hearing should not latch them. Macduff, what concern they? The general cause, or is it a fee grief due to a single breast? Ross, no mind that's honest, but it shares some woe, though the main part pertains to you alone. Macduff, if it be mine, keep it not from me, quickly let me have it. Now, when he says keep it not from me, quickly let me have it, it shows he's pushing for this information and it builds tension. Then Ross responds by saying, let not your ears despise my tongue forever, which shall possess them with the heaviest sound that ever yet they heard. Macduff, Hum, I guess at it. Ross, your castle is surprised, your wife and babes savagely slaughtered. Now, can you hear that sibilance? It adds to the horrific, sinister sound. Sibilance, um, I mean by the loads of the S, loads of S consonants. Your castle is surprised, your wife and babes savagely slaughtered. To relate the manner were on the quarry of these murdered deer to add the death of you. Malcolm. 
merciful heaven, what man, nay pull your hat upon your brows, give sorrow words, the grief that does not speak, whispers that overfraught heart and bids it break. So by saying merciful heaven, he's the first to speak, shows Macduff can't comprehend what he's heard and he's in shock, he can't even speak. Macduff then asks, my, ch- my children too? Question mark. Again, he he's questioning, he's trying to figure it out. Uh, and then Ross says, wife, children, servant, all that could be found. Again, shows the extent of the murder that was unnecessary. The servants were not need to be killed. It just shows that now Macduff, Macbeth is just killing innocent people for the sake of it. Now I'm going to read the next section. Macduff. And I must be from thence. My wife killed too. Ross, I have said. Malcolm, be comforted. Let's make us medicines of our great revenge to cure this deadly grief. Macduff. He has no children. All my pretty ones. Did you say all? Oh, hell kite. All? What? All my pretty chickens and their dam at one fell swoop. Malcolm. Disputed like a man. Macduff, I shall do so, but I must also feel it as a man. I cannot but remember such things were the, that were most precious to me. Did heaven look on and would not take their part? Sinful Macduff, they were all struck for thee. Not that I am, not for their own demerits, but for mine. Fell slaughter on their souls. Heaven, rest them now. Malcolm, be this the white stone of your sword, let grief convert to anger. Blunt not the heart, enrage it. Macduff, oh, I could play the woman with mine eyes and brag it with thy tongue, but gentle heavens cut short all intermission. Front to front, bring thou this fiend of Scotland and myself. Within my sword's length set him. If he scape, heaven forgive him too. Malcolm, this tune goes manly. Come, go we to the king. Our power is ready. Our lack is nothing but our leave. Macbeth is ripe for shaking, and the powers above put on their instruments. Receive what cheer you may. The night is long, but never finds the day. Okay, you, we can talk about a lot. There's a lot in this little section. And can I just say, Malcolm is being such a dick. He's like, dispute it like a man. Be this to the wetsome of your sword. Convert it to anger. This tune goes manly. Basically, he's just found out that everybody he loves has died, and Malcolm is trying to weaponize his grief. Trying to um he's not even saying oh it's all right don't worry it's such cold responses he thinks that violence equals to masculinity and he's confer he's conforming to the expectations that we set upon him uh what else uh yeah okay um then um Okay, then he says he has no children. Now, this is easily one of the most saddest lines in the play. He has no children, which means he doesn't have children. Now, that's referring to... could be referring to Macbeth as he has no uh, children. So, he finds it easy to kill others and is oblivious to the familial bonds of love. Or Macduff could be saying that there is no way of getting back at him in an equal manner. Then he says... Then he asks a lot of questions, which shows his disbelief over the situation and could show he is hoping Ross is playing a trick on him. Then he says, oh, how kite um, and what all my pretty chickens. So he, there's a motive of birds. How kites are an enormous bird of prey, so it could be compared, and they are 
probably being compared as Macbeth, and the preach chickens are his Macduff's children uh, because they were so vulnerable against this hell kite. Then when he says at one fell swoop, it shows that Macbeth is a vicious hunter. And then Malcolm again disputes it like a man, beats a dick and says expects Macduff to be strong when he just finds out that everyone he loved aside. Um, then Macduff says, but I must also feel it as a man. So he's questioning stereotypical manlyhood and he wants to grieve. I mean, why wouldn't you want to grieve if you're, everyone you loved has died? And then he says, sinful Macbeth, they were all struck for thee. So he blames himself for his family's death. He feels responsible. And Macbeth thinks everyone is responsible for what happened to him. So it's kind of like a comparison there. Macbeth thinks the reason he is why he is is everyone else's fault. But Macduff thinks the reason what happened is his fault. Macduff then says, I could play the woman with mine eyes and brag her with thy tongue. So... He cannot put a mask. Just like how Macbeth couldn't put on a mask when he was um, actually a nice person in the beginning of the play. Then he says lots of religious imagery like gentle heavens, a fiend, heaven, devilish. Oh, that's from before, never mind. Uh, so this juxtaposes heaven and hell and makes it clear he will kill Macbeth. Then Malcolm goes, this tune goes manly. Again, he's comparing violence to masculinity and Malcolm says the powers above put on their instruments which means we'll be acting as God's agents so power is heaven heaven is on their side and they are getting ready for war as instruments are playing um, and then Malcolm says the night is long that never finds the day so the threat of more bloodshed and violence lingers but this time it's tinged with a sense of hope oh god there's Oh, oh no wait we are almost done well done guys I thought this would be an hour episode but actually I think it will be about 50 minutes well done for sticking this long oh never mind we finished well done guys uh, if you made it this far I'm proud of you take a break you know just have a little break or just finish with your work completely just go watch Netflix now because you did quite a lot of work today so thank you for watching and now I'm gonna signal the outro thank you for listening to GCSE Revision by Jazz I hope this podcast episode helped you in any way shape or form um, and yeah basically that was helpful because that's the whole point of this podcast Please um, feel free to visit my website or email me if there's anything that you want me to cover. Seriously, guys, I know you're out there, but I am not getting any responses from you. I feel like there is nobody there. There is people there because I can see all my analytics, but just send me a message. Send me something. I just need something, guys. I'm not mean. I will respond back. Okay, anyway, so any kind of recommendations, any tips you have any improvements you want me to make just tell me I won't take them to heart it will just help me if anything and yeah I don't really think I have anything else to say join me next time we will be doing Macbeth analysis part 11 can you believe that and we'll be looking at act 5 scene 1 and I think scene 2 as well we'll see when I get there um I don't know when I'm going to release it probably sometime next week I don't know if I decide not to be lazy and get my shit together then I will do it maybe this week 
um and that's all i have to say have a good day wherever you are in the world uh and just relax now you've earned it